was uh, actually in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago before I took the seventh Sunday off last Sunday, and um, uh, it was a pastor's meeting. It was good, and, and uh, uh, Mark Barclay has a bunch of people that he, uh, under his tutelage, I guess you could say, under his care, and he wants to mentor, focus pastor. I was invited to go, and I went, and I listened, but, and it was good. Uh, uh, and, and so while I was there, however, the Lord spoke to me, and gave me what I'm about to share with you. And uh, uh, you are our epistles. This comes from you are our epistles, known and read of all men, Second uh, Corinthians 3. That's what came up in my heart. And I, I don't remember. I was somewhere. I was either in a restaurant after a meeting or walking down the street. I don't remember. But I took out. I, I have Google Keep on my phone. And I, I mean, just as fast as I could type, it came. Boom, 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 boom. So I got six points. I'll get to number one today. Is that okay? Because uh, thank God we have next Sunday and next Sunday. So I want to talk to you about being prepared for 2024. How many know our, our, our world is undergoing some fairly radical change? We all know that. Fun radical means fundamental, basic. So how many know we're undergoing some basic changes worldwide? And the goal really is, uh, there, there is a big goal uh, um, in some circles for there to be um, uh, just uh, all the nations combined together. Uh, with one ideology, one uh, political system, and one means of commerce. And uh, we know that as the Antichrist rule and reign, it'll never be called that. But that's where we're headed. And those that are doing that, they have a goal of 2030, and they're after it. And they're causing some a lot of upsetness worldwide. So we're going into that, how far that goes. You know what? Let me just say before I go any further, you know God could stop that at any moment. Yes or no? Because he's God. Sure he can't, uh, but he may choose to, he may choose not to. If he chooses to, that means he's given people longer to repent. If he chooses not to, it means Jesus is coming back soon. You better get yourself ready. So 2024, you know, question, I do this with myself. Uh, uh, the modern Jew, I read this in a book in 1984 when they take a Sabbath, a Shabbat from Friday night to Saturday night. Uh, they do a life review and they think about what last week was like and then what next week will be like. And then, and then they, they also, in that same pattern, think about last month, next month, and then last year, next year. And then, and, and then you can even go further than that. So I regularly, I have a, because I read that way back in 1984, when I was 26 years old, I regularly think in any day, whether I'm, I'm driving somewhere or going, whatever, and I'm just thinking, what was I doing a year ago today? You ever do that? So, so think about you. What were you like a year ago today? Hmm. You're one year older. Maybe you're prettier. Maybe not so. You know, what were you like spiritually a year ago? See, that's the quite bigger question. So, so where are you now? Or are you, are you where you were last year? If you are, let me just uh, uh, hint, you got some work to do. I'm going to know every year you ought to be growing and you ought to be changing, right? And, and we ought to be able to say, I'm, I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be. We're in process. Is that true? In fact, 2 Corinthians 3, we're changed from glory. It's none of this is in my notes, guys. I'll get to it. <laughs> we're changed from glory to glory, right? One level of glory or the presence of God to another level of the presence of God. And that's by the choices we make. Then, you know, for me, I think, okay, uh, and, and this works with age, you know. So, so all I got last year, what was it like uh, five years ago? Now, I think, that, oh, wow, 10 years ago. And then if you're my age, like, like 20 years ago. 
<laughs> I had hair, she said. I had hair a few years ago. But then what was it like spiritually, right? See? And then, and then you want to think, now, now, where do I want to be next year this time? What's the world going to be like next year this time? That's a big question. Nobody knows, right? Nobody knows. That's why you want to be ready for whatever comes. Is that correct? Just, just prepare. Be ready. What, what, where do I want to be five years from now? So a lot of people don't think in terms of goals. I'm a leader, so I'm constantly thinking ahead. A, a leader thinks more broadly than another person thinks and thinks uh, before other people think. So I'm constantly, because I'm a, a leader here, I, I just think. I think about things. So I want you to think about you and where you want to be because I want to give you a path to that. If you want to change, if you want to grow, growth is available if you want to be. Because one day, everything we value here will not be with you. The only thing you take to heaven, if you go to heaven, and I hope every person under the sound of my voice goes, the only thing you take with you are, is your relationships. Is that true? Nothing else. Naked I was born, naked I returned. Right? Came from dust, go back to dust. So let's talk about that a little bit. So having said that, the days of casual Christianity ought to be over for every life. Just listen to this. This came to my mind. I'm going to try to read these rapidly because I want to get to my points. I got four. Uh, the days of casual Christianity are over. Don't ride the fence. So if you're a fence rider, well, sometimes I like to do this. And I know God don't like it, but I'll get forgiven. No, no, don't be living that way anymore, right? Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. When it says walk, it means 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now our culture has been immersed in a new level of darkness unknown in my generation, and uh, it's not getting any better as way, the way it looks. You know, let me just, as a side point, mention uh, there are Marxists and communists that don't want you to know God or want you to have anything to do with God's laws and rules and regulations and the Holy Spirit that keeps your life clean and free and that creates strong homes and families. And strong marriages between a man and a woman. How many hear me? So anything you see in any culture that goes opposite of that, it is not the spirit of God. It is the spirit of the world. It is the spirit of Antichrist. And you want to get practical, it's Marxism. 100%. It's in our colleges. It's in our universities. It's in our school systems. It's everywhere. And so when he talks about having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, rather expose them. That's where my mind goes. Just be aware. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Now this is amazing. When Jesus comes into your life, a light turns on. And things that you could do for years, suddenly, I don't want you to do that anymore. Anybody had that experience? We'll talk about it later. Um, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is like, therefore, he says, awake. Everybody say awake. You who sleep arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. 
a person who knows God but is participating in the darkness of their culture is like a person who sleep asleep among the dead. I recently uh, watched him. In fact, uh, in fact, I read about the the uh, the challenge and the tragedy in Israel, October seventh, which was my birthday. Some of the child, the kids who were at that music festival. Uh, were on the phone with their, with their, I think their parents, mom or dad, and they were laying up under dead bodies so that the Hamas terrorists couldn't find them and shoot them. So they were like they were asleep among the dead. Now that's the way a believer is when he's partaking of the things in our culture he shouldn't be doing. He's asleep. He, he, he's, he's awake inside, but he's asleep. And this, the apostle Paul said, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine which is dissipation or reckless living. How many know wine will mess you up? I'm talking about, he's talking there about drink. You know, we just, in fact, we, this is odd, I'm even saying this. When I pulled up to the property today, there was a, there was a, a, a vehicle, an SUV, had slammed into a tree. I mean, head on, full bore, and the guy's laying out on the road, and one of our guys on our praise team went out to see him, along with a couple of others, and finally the police came and all that, but uh, he was high on drugs. He didn't even know, he said, didn't even know where he was. Huh? Wow. So, Lord, we pray. Can we pray for him? I pray, Lord, he had an experience at a tree right here in front of our property. Lord, may that be a, a transformative time. May he think about what happened. He almost lost his life. Lord, may he recover from his injuries. And I pray that his life would change. And, Lord, may I ask you for this. May we see him in our church one day. May he come to Jesus and be saved. So he said here again, don't be drunk with wine in which is reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Then, then the next thing here is don't be a sleepy believer. You ever been sleepy? You ever drove trying to sleep? sleepy, trying to stay awake. I've actually stuck my head out the window and hollered as loud as I could before. I'm not kidding. I had one time, Susan and I driving through the mountains and my car was sideways. It was raining, cats and dogs and, you know, everything else. And uh, I, I opened my eyes and I'm sideways. And I don't know how I didn't wreck. And I said, Jesus! And I woke up real fast. When you're asleep, when you're sleepy, things just aren't right, right? Yes, you know, the tryptophan, you know, in the turkey, you know, that afternoon you get kind of groggy, right? People are talking and you can't even remember what to say. And they ask you, try to get you in the middle of the conversation in the circle, but you've been nodding off. Hmm? Right? So don't be a sleepy believer that is unaware of your surroundings or the time we're living, times we're living in, right? And Romans 13, 11, uh, and do this knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us test off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Now I'm going to switch to the New Living Translation because it's so clear. 
Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. How many know all of that above is part of the United States culture right now? And, you know, we're supposed to be living above it, right? Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires, and that would be your flesh. The uh, last thing on this vein I want to talk about, how many know it's good to give yourself a regular spiritual checkup? You know, people go to a doctor and say, give me a checkup, you know, and so they'll, you know, if I, I just took my mother to the doctor last week. She's 89, and we took her blood, got all the test results back. You know, her results are amazing. She's 89, completely healthy. So, you know, you have a checkup, you go to the doctor. What about a spiritual checkup? Socrates was a Greek philosopher, and he lived uh, uh, in the 400 BCs, and he said this, the, uh, even he said this, the unexamined life is not worth living. Do you know we live in a culture today that lives surface, live about an eighth of an inch deep, giggle, laugh, joke, but don't get real serious about life. You know, I like to joke. I have as much fun as anybody else. Just ask my grandkids. We, we have a good time. When they came to my house, I had about five or six toys ready for them to play. Had them all charged up. In fact, I had a new one come uh, Thanksgiving morning, a big old orb. And they just played with that thing. They had fun. I like to laugh and have fun. Do you? But there is a time to examine yourself, right? And so several scriptures uh, give vent to this. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. As to whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you're disqualified. But I trust, Paul said, that you will know, uh, that, you will know that we are not disqualified. Then 1 Corinthians 11. I love this verse, actually 31 and 32. Man, we, this is around the communion table, the context. But he said, but if we would judge ourselves... We would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So one thing that we should, uh, we should practice is self-judgment. Before I go further, let me read the Amplified New Testament, that same verse. For if we searchingly examined ourselves, detecting our shortcomings, recognizing our own condition, we should not be judged and penalty decreed by divine judgment. But when we fall short and are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined and chastened so that we may not finally be condemned to eternal punishment along with the world. That's strong words, isn't it? So, you know, all of us in this room, including me, we should practice self-judgment. Now, what does that mean? That means when I, I do something I know is wrong, in me, I don't wait. See, that's key, don't wait. I do it right now. Say, Father, right, what I said right there was wrong. The attitude I had toward that person stunk. It was sin. Forgive me. See, that's self-judgment, right? Or, or if you do something, it's an act, a physical act you know is sin. You, right when you participate in that, your heart, if you're a believer, your heart should convict you. Yes or no? His seed, 1 John 3, 9 says, his seed remains in us and we can't practice sinning as a way of life. Right? No one born of God com continually, habitually, practices sin as a way of life amplified new testament says first uh, john 3 9 so how do you know whether or not you're a believer if you can do wrong and it doesn't bother you i would say you have a deep problem right if you can if you can if you can use uh the f-bombs that people are, are uh, bombing everybody with these days 
innocuously with GD and SOB and all that stuff, you got a problem, right? Huh? Where's your heart? What's going on? Or if you can, you can involve yourself with things that you're, you know are wrong. You can slander someone. Here's a real big one today. I was thinking about it this way. I can't believe the deception and lying that is allowed today. It's everywhere. Have you noticed that? Even our government lies. Is it true? If, if, that, if that doesn't bother you, see, if it didn't bother me, I'd say, you know, I need to check up on me. Do I really know Jesus? Because you know what? Oil and water just don't mix well. Is that true? And so sin in the life of a believer doesn't. That's the reason we need to search ourselves. Then, then this is a real challenge. This always been to me, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. No, that's only unbelievers will be there. If you, if you find yourself at the great white throne judgment, your goose is cooked. Your turkey, turkey is done. All right? You're not going to heaven. All right? But, but if you find yourself here at, at the judgment or reward seat of Christ, you're going to heaven. Your salvation is not in view. But Jesus will scrutinize our behavior. Now, I don't know about you. I have a plan. When I get there, I'm just going to drop. Unless he picks me up, I'm dropping. I'm going to see those holes in his feet. Kapoom. I'm just glad to be right there. And, and, and you know, he's going to talk to me about my life, my words, my values, Amen. my thoughts, what I've meditated on, all the things I did by myself and with others, my words, my actions. It's quiet, doesn't it? Whoa. We must all appear and be revealed as we are. See, all the facade's gone. You're naked. So that each one may receive his pay. You get pay for living for God according to what he's done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive have been and what he's achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. Wow. That's a big mouthful, isn't it? So, you know... Because that's going to happen one day for me. I have a regular time I get before God. And you see, if you do this, you'll, sometimes, you know, you ever heard the adage, a rolling stone gathers no moss? Y'all ever heard that? Is that too old? You know, you got a rock in the, in, the, in the forest, and it's been there a long time. It turns green, algae grows on it, and all kind of uh, boogery stuff grows on it. But, you know, if it's, if it's moving, it can't catch, Right? So if your life is moving, if you're constantly moving forward, see, and you're constantly dealing with yourself, practicing self-judgment, see, then, then you can say, God, I'm wrong, help me. I regularly, I'm telling you, I regularly do this. I get before God. Say, God, let's, let's start turn, looking behind the bushes and turning over the rocks in my life. Let's talk about me. What about my motives? What about why I do what I do? How about what I do? How about what I'm talking about? What about my mental life? Lord, what about it? What about what I'm doing with my flesh? What about it? What about it? Talk to me. And you know, every once in a while, the Lord will say, you know, you need to deal with that. You're getting slack. If he never says that, then something's wrong. You're probably not doing this, you know. And then the good news about all this is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The confess, again, I've said this so many times, means to agree with or to say exactly what God says about what you're doing. 
the Greek word there for confess is homo legeo. Logos is the Greek word for word. Homo is, is uh, same, means the same. So you say or, or speak the same thing that God speaks or says about what you're doing with your life. That's confessing your sin. And see, 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 the good news is the blood of Jesus enables us to be honest with ourselves. And I have met so many people. I've been that way in my past before I knew Jesus. I didn't want to be honest with me because I didn't want to admit that I was wrong because it, it promoted too much guilt. So I didn't want to go. And a lot of people, you know what they do? They don't want to think about what they're doing. They don't want to think about their behavior. They don't want to think about how they're dealing with life because it brings up too much self-condemnation. But how many know there's therefore now no condemnation in Jesus? Is that good news? I mean, y'all, this is, this is the, this is the bet. This is better than any therapist can ever give you right here. You get before God and say, God, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And you just start talking. I do that really regularly. Self-examination is really important. If you're going to walk with God today, you need to examine yourself, right? So let's get right into what I wanted to talk about. There's six ways you can be prepared for 2024 today. This is uh, probably one of the most important ones. And, and I've got to explain this in detail. So here we go. And i got four little points in a minute. Stay full of the Word of God. Everybody say it out loud. It's really important for me if I'm going to walk with God and not walk in the darkness of my culture and not be overcome by the Marxist ideology to stay full of the Word of God. So here's the next question. How much of the Word of God is inside of you? Now, let me get real practical. How much of the, of the Bible have you memorized? And you can bring up a scripture. Huh? Let me say this for the umpteenth time. Uh, 1977 was my first Bible school experience. And one of the professors, at first, I just didn't like him. And I confessed that to the Lord. And then I figured out why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, the first class... He said, he had three scripture on the, on the board. He said, I want you to go get King James Version, and I want you to write that scripture out with punctuation on a paper. So get out right now, get your Bible out. He had three scripture, and it took, you know, just a few minutes for everybody in the class. There's 30 people in the class. Write scriptures down. And then he said, next week, you're going to write those same scripture down, but you're not going to have your Bible with you. Correct punctuation included, and I'll test you on it. I said, you rascal, you. Well, I did it. Next week, he did exactly what he said. We had to write the scripture down. And then uh, he said, look at the board. And we had three new scripture. So he said, now I want you to write those down. Now you're going to do it on your own time this time. He said, but write those down and then correct punctuation. I want you to memorize them. Next week, you'll have a, you'll have a, a, a test on six scripture. Correct punctuation, King James Version. I mean, we were looking at each other like, you rascal, you. What do you think you're doing? And every week, I mean, we had the guy for weeks and weeks. Every week, he just added three scripture. Y'all, did you know, did you know, that's probably one thing that has saved my life? Because it made me, forced me to get the Word of God in me. It, did you know you can memorize if you want to? Huh? If you'll get the Word. Let me tell you what the Word is like. The Word is like a seed. My daddy planted a half an acre garden, and I haven't planted a garden since. But my brothers and I helped my dad. I'm not kidding. I got burnt out with gardening, all right? I mean, every vegetable you can imagine, we had. 
And, and we had lots of them. And it was really hard. You had to keep the beans off of them. And, uh, beans. You had to get the bugs off the beans. And then had to get the uh, 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 worms off the tomatoes and yada, yada, yada. And then we had to keep all the grass. But, but the idea is you plant that seed. And I had the job of dropping the seed in the hole my dad dug. He said, Mitch, drop three th seeds in each hole because one might not germinate. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. And that was my job for a long time. One, two. We had 36 rows. Long. I mean, from here to that wall over there. Long rows. Jesus, help me today. Here's what I noticed. Long as the seed's in that bag, and he put a little bit of poison in there so the, so the uh, bugs wouldn't eat the seed in the bag. Long as they're in the bag, they did nothing. They didn't germinate. But if you pull it, put them in the warm soil, and they get sunshine and they get rain, and you keep the bugs uh, and, and you keep the you keep the weeds out. Guess what's going to happen? Growth. Did you know the word of God? Listen. Yeah, this is the best things going for you and me. I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of problems you got. I don't care what kind of mischief you let yourself get into. I don't care what kind of flesh has overwhelmed you. If you'll get the seed of the word of God in you, you will change. Because the word will, will crowd out doubt, unbelief, fear, sin. Did you hear me? It's amazing. And the good news, I don't care where you were born, what side of the tracks you were born on. It, I don't care what country you're in. It works 100% for human beings. The seed of the word changes you. It has transformative power. Did you hear me? Uh, now, let me say this as well. When I came to Jesus in 1976, one of the fundamentals that caused it to stick this time, because at eight years of age, I went down front, shook, shook my Baptist preacher's hand, and quote-unquote accepted Jesus as my Savior, then got water baptized, and that was in August of 1966. But then I fell away from God, got involved in drugs and all the mess that goes with that, and I was doing it while I was going to church. I, that's how I know you can be a hypocrite and come to church. You can live like a dog and come to church. Well, you know, some dogs live better than humans. <laughs> I'm just saying you can live bad and, and, and you can come to church and just kind of, you know, facade the thing. Is that true? I did it for years. I know exactly how to do it. You can smile and say the right stuff, but that doesn't mean it's inside of you. When I came back to Jesus, repented of my sin. Repent means you change your thoughts about how you're living life and say, I can't do this anymore. I've got to change directions. This is a 180 degree turn, right? I repented September 12th, 1976. And on the heels of that, on the heels, I did that on Sunday morning. On the heels of that, 7.20 p.m. that night, I went back to the same church that I repented of my sin in. And they said, if you haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I said, baptism in the Holy what? They said, baptism with the Holy Spirit, you need to come down and receive this. And my friend said, Mitch, you need that right there in your life. I said, I've never heard of that in my life. He said, well, you go down there, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and your life will change. Well, my mother, a year before, got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And yes, you speak with tongues, and I am guilty of that. Um, when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. But listen what happened. You see, see, there's one thing about the Holy Spirit. He loves Jesus. And you got to know that. 
And when I got back, so I went down front, got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and the next thing I noticed was, yes, I prayed in the Spirit, spoke in tongues. But the bigger thing was, I, I just couldn't get away from it. I went to work the next day. And all I could think about was the Bible. I mean, if I could, I'd just eat the thing. I said that a few Sundays ago. And I bought a new Bible because I tried to eat the one before and it was bad. So, got me but there was just, I'm just saying there was a hunger for the word. Do you know the Holy Spirit will give you a hunger for the word of God? Unlike anything I had ever experienced in all my life. And I, I went to church three times a week as a kid all my life. And I've told you that umpteen times all week long when we had revival meetings, you know, in the Baptist church. And uh, wow. But a baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's like, I just wanted God. I wanted the word. I wanted the word. I wanted the word. I didn't know why I wanted the word. How many know the Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth? And his one ambition is not to talk about himself, but to talk about Jesus and make Jesus real to you. And the Bible reveals Jesus as the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? So Jesus is even called the living word. So you get a hold of the Holy Spirit in a fresh way, in a big way, he'll transform your life and send you right to Jesus, the living word. When we sing, oh, I love Jesus, you know what else we're saying? Oh, how I love the word. Oh, how I want to obey the word. How, oh, how I want to line my life up with what the Bible says. Yes or no? The more you become acquainted with the word, the more the Holy Spirit will manifest to you. And the more the life of Jesus will rise up in you. How many hear, hear me? And then I noticed this as I started walking with God in 1976. The more I got in the word, the more he reminded me of the word. In fact, six months after I came to Jesus, I'll get to my four points in a minute. They're pretty quick. Uh, six months after I came to Jesus, it was the second February, uh, second Tuesday in February, 1977. I was working at, on the end of an aisle at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I heard these words, and I didn't know what they were. Now, I'd read the Bible as a kid, but, but you know, some parts I didn't read a lot, and Ecclesiastes was one of them. But I heard the words, and God called me to preach from the Bible. I heard a phrase repetitiously, vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. I mean, I'm working. I mean, I'm... I'm 18 years old, putting, putting stuff on a shelf for people to buy. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. I said, what in the tarnation is that? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. And I'm working. I'm like, good Lord, what on earth is that? And I didn't realize the Holy Spirit's talking to me. See, I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to make money. That was my ambition in life. And he was telling me, I want to change your ambition. I went home to my mother. I said, Mom. Because I lived at home, I was going to school, I was going to college, and then to change, I went to Bible college. I said, uh, what is this in the Bible, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. She said, well, yeah, it's in, uh, it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's all throughout the book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher, King James Version. And God was telling me that what you're wanting to do and just make money is empty. In fact, you could say emptiness of emptinesses. Emptiness of emptinesses. You will have an empty life if you go the path that you plan to go for yourself. And, you know, I, I thought about it and I said, well, well God, I'm, you're scaring the bejeebies out of me. I don't even like to get in front of people. I'm an introvert. But I'm telling you, the seed of the Word of God will change you, will grow in you, and make you what God's called you to be. How many hear me? See, even my call to preach was from the Word. I'm just saying the Word of God will change you. Three years ago, COVID was a wake-up call. 
Did you know that? And at the conference I was at a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about that. And that's uh, affected people, uh, churches nationwide. A lot of people hadn't gone back to church yet. Did you know that? Because they're scared. You know, faith and fear. Uh, you can't have faith and fear at the same time. One's going to dominate. And if you want faith, you've got to get rid of the fear. And you've got to step out on the word. Right? So anyway, I could talk about that a lot, but I'm not going to. Listen to this, Psalm 119 and 130. The entrance of your word gives light. Everybody say light. It gives understanding to the simple. The entrance of your word gives light or wisdom. See, it helps you see life as it really is and what's important and what is not important. And then Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Now, when I go to Africa, there's a lot of places I go, there's no electricity at all. And you just can't, you just can't go outside and walk because you don't know what's on the ground. Somebody could have used the bathroom right over there and you don't know it. Or there could be an animal or there could be a hole or a rock. You just don't know. But when you got your, your flashlight and you're walking down the path, you can see. Is that true? So, so when he says the, the uh, entrance of, I'm sorry, your word is a lamp to my feet. That is, you can see right in front of you. You know the next step. You know what to do. And then a light to my path. He gives you wisdom on the direction your life is headed. Is that good? Psalm 19, 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is, the word of God is perfect. The law of the Lord is the word of God. It's perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It'll change your mind. If you don't have wisdom, it'll give you wisdom for life's journey, right? The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It shows you right from wrong, right? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It gets you away from all this mess in our culture. Hmm. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It purifies your heart and makes you clean because nothing unclean can come before the presence of God, right? The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Now, I started to. I got a little gold piece. One ounce of gold, it's really shiny and pretty and gold color. Yeah. More to be desired are they than gold. He said the word of God is more, is more valuable to you than a clump of gold. Hmm. Yea, than much fine gold. 24 karat stuff. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Hmm. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Isn't that good? Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the word of God. And in his law, he meditates. Everybody say meditate. Day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. A tree by water, when it's dry and it hasn't rained, it's green. Because it's got a good water source. And that's what he's saying God will do to you. He will cause your life to flourish in drought times. Joshua 1.8, I love this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. Everybody say meditate. Day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Or one translation says you'll be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. Now how many want to deal wisely in the affairs of life? 
Well, this book right here will give you wisdom. You'll deal wisely in the affairs of life. If you're a business person, you'll be a better business person. If you're married, you'll have a better marriage. If you're a, if you're a parent, it'll show you how to parent, right? Uh, you, but he said, don't let it depart from your mouth. Keep it in your heart by meditation. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believe in him, if you abide in my word, the King James says, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And when it says, when he said here, if you abide in my word, the idea is you stay there all the time. You never leave the word. He said, what did Jesus say? You'll really be a person who walks with me and you'll know truth and that truth will free your life from all of the encumbrances that come, right? So it's not just hearing the word on Sundays, but making a choice to live it every day. Question, is the word in your heart? Now, when I ask, I'm asked that question to me, the only word that's in my heart, it could be in my head and not in my heart. You can rattle scripture off. And, and, and the word not be in your heart. You could have memorized it like I did in Bible school and it not be in your heart. How can you tell if the word's in your heart? Meditation drops the word from your head to your heart. And if the word's in your heart, you put it into practice. So if you know the Bible, but you don't do the Bible, the Bible is not inside of you. Yes or no? Huh. So uh, another question, do others see the word in how you live your life? Is it obvious that you're different from the people around you? If it's not, you say, Lord, what do I need to change? Right? Right? Hmm. Do others see the word in how you treat your spouse and how you treat your children, in what you post online and what your values are and how you dress? You could just keep going on and on with that, right? Listen to James, the practical half-brother of Jesus. New Living Translation, James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word, don't obey it. It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, forget what you look like. But if you carefully look into the perfect law that sets you free, King James says the perfect law of liberty. If you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So why did James say that it's possible to come to church and hear a pastor preaching or it's possible to listen to a podcast or read your Bible, even have a devotional time. But if you don't put it into practice throughout the day, it's not in your heart and the seed's not yet planted, right? Huh? So, so, so when I do the word in the current atmosphere... See, that will determine me do, practicing what God says in the current atmosphere of the world. It determines whether or not the things in our culture will leach on to me or not. Is that, is that true? So if the word's in my heart, there are certain ways I'm just not going to dress. I could go on and say a lot about that. Certain things I'm just not going to do. Is that true? Amen. Certain places I'm just not going to go. Is that true? You say, well, that seems so confining. No, no, that's actually freeing. Do you know the children? I'm going to meddle a little bit here. Do you know the children that are the most adjusted and well-balanced and free are the ones disciplined by their parents? If you find an, uh, yeah. If you find an undisciplined child you know what it say? They have no parameters around them. And they're looking for attention in all the wrong places, right? Huh? But if the parents put parameters around them, well, you can do that, but not that. You can go there, but not there. 
right? It makes that child feel safe. Well, this is where I can live. As long as I'm from here to here, I'm good. Here to here, I'm good. I get outside of that, amen. And it makes them feel secure, right? Now, just something, you know, I think what I just might do, I think on Wednesday nights, I just might start talking about child training. So this Wednesday, I got to talk about one thing. I'm going to have a little pastor conference, talk with pastor thing. So bring your questions Wednesday night because we'll just talk about all kinds of stuff. If you've got parenting questions, bring them to me. Then I'll take another couple of times. We'll go there. Is that good? So, so let me talk about this, and, and we'll, I can do this, I think, fairly quickly. There are four levels of growth in the Word of God. So I've talked about the importance of the Word. We've given plenty of Scripture about the Word, right? So, so how do you know where you are? You know, for me, if I know where I am, it's rare that I've gotten lost anywhere. As long as I got a map or I got my phone, it's got a map on it, or I got a GPS, right? And when I was a kid, I used to go for long walks in a forest. I never thought about getting lost because I always looked at the sun. And I always marked a tree. I would mark the trail. I would put a scuff on the ground. Or I would, you know, with my knife, put something in the tree or break a twig and it's broken. So I could always tell where I came from. But I never got lost because I know where I am. If you've ever gotten lost in your vehicle, you're driving through, and maybe you didn't forgot your phone, didn't have it with you because now you navigate with that. But, but you, you know how you find out where you are? You just go up to somebody and say, where am I? I say, you don't know, huh? Where's your phone? Left it. If they tell you where you are, then you can go to a map and find out where you need to go. Is that true? So this will locate you. Where are you in the Word of God? How much of the Word of God is in you? There are four levels that the Word of God will produce in your life. And it, this is awesome. Listen to this. First level is the level of a convert. Everybody say convert. What does that mean? You've come to Jesus. You've been born again. You may have taken the next step, been filled with the Holy Spirit. But all this is fresh and new, right? You're a newbie. You don't know a lot of this stuff. And now in American culture, we have a, a less information from the Word of God disseminated to the masses of our population than ever before. Yes or no? Because pastors aren't even preaching the Word strong in a lot of ways. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, you know, here's what happens. When you come to Jesus, you're like Lazarus. I just read in my personal devotions in the book of John, chapter 11, about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You read that, right? Lazarus was dead four days. Jesus said to his disciples, roll the stone away, and they say, he's going to be stinking. And then he said, I know it, just roll it away. He said, you cuckoo, don't do that. We put spices on, but even the spices don't go last. He said, roll the stone, please. Roll the stone away. And then he just said, Lazarus, come forth. And when Lazarus come out, here's how Lazarus come out. He was encased and mummified in a cocoon of strips of cloth made with all kinds of resins. And he come out like this. And after the and the disciples are all looking behind the from the bushes, from the distance, Jesus, he was dead and come alive. And then Jesus looked at the disciples, and here's Lazarus. He can't move his fingers, he can't move his hands, his arms, his legs. He can't do nothing. And Jesus looked at him and said, Loose him and let him go. And you know what that meant? That meant they had to unwrap the cloth around each finger. 
uh, around each hand, uh, around his arm, around his torso, around his legs, around his feet. And he says, mm, that's feeling pretty good. And you know what that's the type and shadow of? When you come to Jesus, you come out of the grave clothes of death. You come out of death into life. And when you come alive, you still got grave clothes on. You act the wrong way. You talk the wrong way. You think the wrong way. You got the wrong slant on life. And you get in the word because it's alive and it starts unwrapping who you are. And it starts showing the real who you are. How many hear me? And you come alive. And one day, one day you look in the mirror and say, I'm not what I used to be. But if you never get in the word, you're walking around in grave clothes. And you're confined. You're asleep among the dead. How many get it? Whoa, 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all evil speaking as newborn babes. We just had a baby born in our household. My son's wife had a baby in October. Desire the sincere, the pure milk of the word. That little girl loves to eat. That little mince just dribbling down both sides of her mouth. Mm -hmm, that's so good. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. So when you first come to the Lord, you know, there's an intense hunger for the word. And if you'll sate that hunger with the Bible, with the word, it'll start unwrapping the grave clothes and the habits and the idiosyncrasies that aren't right in your life that need to be changed. How many hear me? It's just the way it works. James 1.21, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. The soul is the mind to renew your mind. How many know when your mind changes, you change? Now, I brought my book up here. I don't really care about advertising it, but I've got a book called Change Your Mind to Change Your Life and the Principles of Meditation and How to Change and How to Change Your Thinking are right in this book. So if you don't have it, it's on the shelf out there. But, you know, meditate. It's what happens. You plant the word in you and it changes you. Isaiah 28, 10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. God changes you a little bit at a time. It's, it's the fingers coming loose. And then the hands coming loose. And then the arms coming loose, et cetera, et cetera. It's a little bit. God doesn't change you all at once. And when people come to Jesus in our church, guess what? I realize they still have behaviors that are wrong. But you know what? God says, leave them alone to pray for them. And let them see how you live. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? The problem is some pastors are following the wrong Christ. Anyway, better shut up. Second thing, second level of the word being planted in your life and, and producing in the second level of growth is God wants you to become an epistle. That's a letter. Everybody say epistle. And I just read that, second, or quoted it, 2 Corinthians 3, 2. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Now, how do you become an epistle? So once you're born again, your insides change, and God wants to start unwrapping you by you getting into the Word of God, letting it change you, meditating in the Scripture. I'll talk about it maybe in a minute. But you become an epistle by memorizing scripture and letting that word be planted on the inside of you. And I'm telling you, it will change who you are. I can tell you, when I first came to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit, started reading my Bible in sincerity, but God began to deal with me. First thing he dealt with me was about self-centeredness. I always thought about me. 
And all of life is in the context of where, whether I like this or that or that person or this person. How many know God wants to take you out of the center of your life and put Jesus in the center of your life? So you'll love everybody, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent, and even your enemies. Yes? So, you know, so, so first thing is you're born again and you're a new person and it's all brand new. Second phase of growth is you start getting the word in you to the point that you can pull it up and think about it. Now, when you get there, when you go there, your life will begin to change. In the back of this book, and I didn't mean to really, you know, I didn't mean to talk, but, but in the back of my book, the last, the fifth chapter is meditation. The fourth chapter, I talk about how to meditate. You meditate by just letting something ruminate, revolve over and over and over. It's not unlike a cow chewing the cud. I used to I live in Nightdale, and I would go down uh, Auburn Nightdale Road to get home in, uh, many years ago. I live in a different spot now, but nonetheless, I would go by the pa cow pastures. And on my way home and on the way to work almost every day, I'd see cows out there. And in the heat of the day, they would find a shade tree that hopefully had a little body of water near it. And they're sitting there and they're just chewing. You ever seen a cow chew when I was a little boy? I'd go to the cow pastures. And the cow's just chewing. And just, he's, he's chewing his food up. What did he do? He's got seven stomachs. He, he, he grazes. When you read the word, you're only grazing. If you only graze, you're not getting the nutrition from the word. So he grazes, and then he spends some time in the heat of the day, and he just, and that, that means he belches up his food, vomits up. It's just nasty. I get it. But that's what he does. God made him say, I sure like this, and he just chews his food. Goes down to another stomach, chunks it back up again, and he just, and you like the milk, you like the cheese, right? And you like good old steak. Come on. My fave is New York Strip. Come on now. A porterhouse. Let's go out for lunch. But you see what I'm saying? They, 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 they chew. And that's what you do when you meditate in the Word. You just chew, chew, chew. You think, you think about it. Let it go over and over. Do you know last night I woke up a couple of times, and every time I wake up at night, I get the Word of God. In fact, a number of these scriptures came up to my mind because I read them all day yesterday. And I just meditated on the Word, went right back to sleep. The devil doesn't want anybody to meditate on the Word. So if you meditate on the Word when you wake up, you go right back to sleep. It's amazing. And throughout the day, Many times I'll just cut everything off. I have MP3s I listen to, and I listen to music sometimes, all that uh, podcast. I just turn it all off, just meditate. Riding my bike down the trail, Noose River Trail. I'm meditating in the Word many times. Walking, I take walks. I took almost a three-mile walk yesterday and just meditated. What is meditation? You take the Word, you bring it back up, and you just think on it. If you do that, life will change for you. How many hear me? In fact, listen to this. I was met, and I've got all kinds of scriptures. I don't have time to read it to you. My notes are online. I encourage you to read them. Colossians 3.16 does say, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you how? Richly. And that's, that's through meditating in Scripture. Meditation is not putting your fingers like this, putting them on your knees and going, nah, 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 into oblivion. Meditation, that's Eastern metaphysical meditation. Meditation in the Word is taking the Bible and letting a Scripture from the Bible rotate over and over in your head. And if you'll do that, I'm telling you, it's transformative. So listen to this. So this was March of 1983. I was working for a church. I've talked about these things so many times, but it bears repeating. 
I was working for a church. In fact, I went from being uh, the night manager of a grocery store to a janitor in a large church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, you know, it doesn't take a, a lot of thinking to vacuum carpet and to clean nasty toilets and all and sinks and all. So I'm doing all of that. But you know what I'm doing? I'm putting my spiritual life to be, I'm making it busy. I'm thinking that morning I'm thinking, but seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, and his righteousness, comma, and all these things will be added to you. So while I'm vacuuming, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But, and I'd emphasize, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But seek you first, you do it, the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. Seek ye first. Not last, first, the kingdom of God. And I just kept doing that. And I did that, honestly, a couple of hours, and then I had lunch. I got in my car. I can still remember my car. I had a 1981 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme two-door. And I love that car. So I'm going down my neighborhood, and I got to turn left, and there's a swimming pool in front of me. And I'm still thinking, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And, uh, and, and right, right just before I got to the swimming pool, turn left, I heard what's first in your life. I said, who's that? Who's that? See, if, listen, if you'll get involved in the word of God, God will get involved in your life. If you ignore his word, he won't have anything to say to you. People, you want to hear from God? Get in the word. How many hear me? <laughs> oh my. I said, what? He said, what's first in your life? What's first in your life? I said, well, Lord, you are. Then he said this. I turned the corner, turned left, almost to my house. Make me first in your day, honey. If I'm first in your life, make me first in your day. Now, I had been to two Bible schools at the time. Listen, I had memorized scripture, but I'd get up just in time to throw some, some grits and bacon and eggs in my mouth and a nice stiff cup of coffee and some orange juice or milk, take a shower, put my clothes on and squeak in, squeak in the driveway at, at work and pray on the way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he was saying, Mitch, I want to spend more time to get serious with you. I didn't realize why he said he wouldn't leave me alone. And I couldn't even give him an answer. I'm not even a morning person. I told Susan before we got married, don't bother, you know. I don't talk in the morning. I love you, but we're not going to talk in the morning because I don't have anything to say in the morning. And she said, okay. And I was that way. But the Lord said, talk to me first thing. Get in my word first thing. And did you know for a couple of weeks I said, God, I can't answer that yet. And he wouldn't leave me alone. He wouldn't, I couldn't even get past Matthew 6, Seek first, 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 first. I said, Mitch, I want you to do it. And, and he just, I could say he aggravated me, and I'm glad he did. And I finally, one day, I said, God, you're telling me to become a morning person that I'm not. He said, oh, all right. <laughs> I started setting, I, I talked to my son-in-law about this. <laughs> I started setting my clock five minutes early. I'd get up at 6, 5.55. And I did that for a few days, and then 5.50. And then 5.45. And then I started going to bed instead of 11, 10.55, 10.50, 10.45. Get it? And then it got to the point, over a period of, I don't know, six months or so, I started getting up at 4.30 in the morning. But I went to bed at 9.30. But it, it was methodical. I started jogging the year before, and God said, I said, God, how do I do this? He said, do it the way you jog. 
oh, I can do that when I started jogging. I wanted to go a mile, and I was so out of shape, an eighth of a mile, I had that stitch in my side. Oh, it hurt so bad. I walked the rest of the mile all humble. I'm all out of shape. But I just kept doing it. Got up to an eighth of a mile, quarter of a mile, half a mile, three quarters of a mile, a mile. And then I got up to five miles in 40 minutes. See? But it was incremental, right? And when he told me to get into work, he said, do it that way. I said, I can do that. Five minutes. I got you covered. Five minutes. I prayed for two and a half. I, I read the Bible for two and a half minutes and prayed for two and a half minutes. You're not going to hang the moon in the sky, but you know it is a start. And y'all, it turned into, listen to this, and the day came, listen. The day came, and I was going, I said, Susan, because Susan loves the night. She'd be vacuuming in the night. You can tell her I said so. I said, I'm going to bed at 930, and, and the, this one night, this is months later. One night I was going to bed, getting ready to go to bed at 9.30 so I can get up at 4.30, spend time with God. Because my job started at 8. And I felt inside. I said, God, I can't wait to get up at 4.30 and spend time with you. My heart said it. And see, that's a miracle. You get it? Right? I'm telling you, y'all, if you'll get in the Word and make yourself an epistle, God will change you. The, second, the third phase of the Word being in your life, first phase is what? Convert. Second phase is what? You got to get the word in you, an epistle. What's the third phase? A disciple. This is where it starts affecting your will. Huh? Are you a disciple? Well, what's the root word of disciple? Discipline. You discipline your will to obey God. I'm about done. Everybody okay? Yeah. You, 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 dis you discipline yourself. Not all believers allow themselves to be a disciple because they're not willing to give their will away. Now, I've got all these in my notes. So I'm not going to take time to read them. But Jesus said this in various locations, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said this, he who, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And he said it again in Matthew 16, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he's talking about uh, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I think the best translation is J.B. Phillips, Mark 8. It's in the notes. Then he calls disciples to the people and the people around him and said to them, if anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself. You know what that means? A cross is, two things happen on a cross. A cross is where you crucify your flesh. Excuse me. <coughs> Talking too much. A cross is where you take <coughs> the ungodly desires in your life and you nail them. Say, God, you got to deal with me. You got to deal with my gossipy mouth, my slop bucket ears, because I listen to gossip. Right? God, my, my, pri my pride, my proudness, my anger, my self-centered thinking. I don't care what I do that affects others. That's wrong. See, that's, that, you take that to the cross, right? And a cross is a place where your will and God's will meets and his will wins. Right? Because Jesus said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cross away from me. Right? Then he said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You know what I know? Some people aren't willing to get close to God because they don't want him to talk. Because they don't want to be called into ministry. 
Oh, they don't want to do something different. They want to do what they want to do. You hear me? I mean, listen, when I was young, some people didn't want to be. They said, I ain't going to Africa. I ain't moving to another country. Now, if God called me to Hawaii, let's go. I'll call. Listen right now. But discomfort, not all of the privileges I have right now, but forget it. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'm going to play it safe. I'll just pray enough to just get in the door of eternity, get into pearly gate, just barely speak in. But I'm not going to do a lot because God might really speak to me and require something of me. Friend, guess what? God doesn't judge you in the judgment seat or the reward seat of Jesus based on what you did. He judges you based on what he called you to do and did you fulfill it. So if you never seek him, you never even try to find out. First thing you're going to say, what did you do? What did you do with you? What did you do with me? So being a disciple means I lay my wheel down. Are you really willing to do that? Because he'll make you repent to your enemy. He'll make you be nice to that person you can't stand at the grocery store. You hear me? I could go on. It's in the notes. The last thing is, so you got, what is it? What is it? Where are you? Convert, epistle, and then the last one's minister. Whoa. See, you go through the first three phases, and then God will use you to minister life to other people. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He's called us all to do that. Uh, the, in fact, the Great Commission. Is the Great Commission your life mission? I like to put it that way. Uh, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then 2 Corinthians 5, as I, I'm finished now. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Do you know that's your job? Your job is to live in such a way people say, what's up with you? You say, why you ask? And you know what? And you know what? You say, well, Jesus came into my life and he changed me. And you just, you just tell them what's in your heart. How many know that's how you reconcile people to God? You tell them what he did for you, right? Right? So that's being a minister. So you got, you got convert, you got epistle, you got disciple, you got minister. Where are you? Are you different than you were last week? Last week? How about last year? Where are you planning to be next year this time? God wants us to grow.